it's probably more legend than fact, but it's still told because the story is good and it still echoes through our culture and our time and our place, especially this time of year. It's a story that happened centuries ago. The year is probably about 269 AD. The place is ancient Rome in the empire. The emperor is named officially Caesar, Marcus, Aurelius, Valerius, Claudius, Pius, Felix, Invictus, Augustus, Pontificus, Maximus, Germanicus, Maximus, Gothicus, Maximus. But for short, he went by Claudius II. (laughs) He reigned over an empire that was at war on both sides. From west to east, war was raging in the Roman Empire. And he needed his great Roman army fighting at both sides. He found himself in need of troops. So Claudius, Claudius began to look around realizing he was becoming short on troops, so the legend goes, and he came up with a decree that he thought would work. He realized that single men tend to make better soldiers than those who have married themselves off. And so he decreed that for in the empire no single man would be allowed to marry a woman. This was his plan for the army. But, of course, every legendary story needs a hero. And our hero happens to be, in this case, a priest in the Christian church that Paul started there in Rome. This priest happened to be a champion for love and for marriage. And so in spite of the decree throughout the Roman Empire, this priest decided that in his congregation, in Rome, among the people, if there were young men and young women who wanted to be married in holy matrimony, this priest, in spite of Caesar's decree, would marry them. And so he went around performing these secret marriages, promoting marriage and and love among the people. He continued to do this until finally uh, Claudius, the emperor, got wind of the subversive priest, had him jailed, and eventually executed. A martyr, this priest, for his Christian church and for holy love and, and marriage. At least so the legend goes. Any guesses as to what the name of this priest might have been? Saint, indeed. Honey, this one, where did Honey go? This is for you. You were wondering? Saint Valentine. The priest who championed, at least according to the legend, holy love and and marriage. It's a good story that we bring up. And of course, I bring it up today not only because, and if you hadn't caught it yet, we we all had a plan to mention that men, husbands, boyfriends, we have mentioned probably 17 times already this morning that Monday is Valentine's Day. That's the last time, so I hope you've got it by now. But I mention the stories not just because of that, but because it actually so happens that our theme from Scripture today has exactly to do with priests who are champions of love. People who have a calling. In fact, you and I, a calling to be priests who are champions of love. Think about that for, for a moment. In fact, think about your calling this morning. What is the calling in your life? And when I say calling... I don't necessarily mean your, your job or that thing that you spend so many of your hours doing the day, whether it's to earn a living or to take care of a home or a family. But I mean your, your calling, right? That thing that keeps you going in life, your reason for being, the, the purpose for your living. What is your, your calling? 
when uh, pastors are together, you can imagine one of the questions that sometimes comes up among pastors as they're talking is, when did you receive your call? I mean, the, the call to, to ministry, to be a pastor. Of course, it's interesting, as you hear the various stories, some pastors have these quite amazing stories where they can tell you the exact moment when they realized, God is calling me to be a pastor. And then for others, and I would be in this group, it's not that exact moment, but more of this sort of long process. Uh, for, for me, my junior year of academy was when I first started thinking about it, and seven years of theology school and everything, when I graduated, I was still kind of running the other direction. It's kind of that Jonah, Jeremiah kind of thing. But God, again, kept nudging me back into it and growing deeper and deeper as a sense, yes, God is calling me to full-time professional ministry as, as a pastor. But if I'm reading our text for today correctly, which we'll turn to in a moment, all of us have a call to be priests of a sort. Let's actually turn uh, again to Revelation. We spent some time with Revelation chapter 1 last week. Let's go to that same chapter where there's another little verse in here that I find quite, quite compelling and, and beautiful. If you're looking for Revelation chapter 1, go to verse 5, right at the beginning. And listen to what John says in Revelation. It's a bit of praise, but it's got buried in there something quite beautiful. Here's Revelation 5, starting the second half of that verse. Maybe you have a paragraph break or something. To him who loves us. You see that? To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's a beautiful a hymn of praise. Like, like in the book of Revelation, over and over, you find people breaking into these hymns and songs of praise to God. This is one of them, right? To the one who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. These are the kinds of things we sing in our praise songs, right? How many praise songs can you think of that, that sing something about this is, God is the one who loves us and frees us from our sins by his blood? We celebrate this over and over, right? But try to think, and I couldn't think of one. If you can, let me know. But think of a song that talks about how we are called to be priests, all of us, right? It's a stranger concept, not one that we focus on it much. But here it is in the book of Revelation, a kingdom, priests serving God. And actually, this is a theme that, that develops through Scripture. We could, we could go through several of them, and I'll just go quickly. If you want these texts afterwards, talk to me, and you can write them down. But let's just go through them fairly quickly. It starts in Exodus chapter 19. Just before God gives the law to the people in the, on Mount Sinai, he says, Now you will be for me, you people, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Okay? So something to the effect of you will be the ones representing me to the world. Fast forward, past Jesus into the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of Him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Again, a royal priesthood. You're all called to be priests serving God, proclaiming His mighty acts. And again in Revelation, if you move ahead to chapter 5, it's that same beautiful song. You have made them, chapter 5 verse 10, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. 
priests serving our God. We are called to be priests. Interesting. So I, I would propose to you this morning that while I can't really give you a specific moment, that exact time when I was called to be a, a professional pastor and, and a full-time minister, I can tell you the exact time that I was called to be a priest among this priesthood of, of people. It was on January 1, 1994, in the College View Seventh-day Adventist Church on the day that my father baptized me there. On my day of baptism, I was called to be a priest in God's kingdom. You, on your day of baptism, were called to be a priest in God's kingdom. So you might be wondering exactly what that looks like right now, right? I mean, does this mean that we get white collars now? Um, Does it mean that you need to be brushing up on your uh, public speaking skills because we're going to start all taking turns uh, over the next several? I mean, we have a transition period here, so why not? You know, we have a lot of you here. Or, or even stranger, maybe, if we go to Old Testament priests, we're going to wear robes, do sacrifices. This could get odd, right, to be a priest. What does this mean? Well, let's think for a moment about what a priest does. What is the role of a priest? One of the best ways I think we can describe it, the words, is uh, a mediator, right? Uh, in my family, there were three of us kids, and uh, I was the firstborn. My sister was in the middle. Any secondborn uh, children here? Yes. Secondborns have a special way of being peacemakers often. Have you noticed that? Uh, did, think about your family. Who's the peacemaker in your family or a mediator? My sister was the one. Uh, sometimes it would be between my younger brother and me, so she stands in between two siblings and would go back and forth and make sure we're not killing each other, these two boys. But it wasn't just between us. My sister wanted to be a mediator, a peacemaker, between just about anybody, between my mom and dad, between my mom and me, between my dad and my younger brother, between my mom and the dog Frisky, between our dog Frisky and the pet mice that she kept in her room. My sister was just a born mediator, peacemaker, going back and forth, making sure people were happy and that they understood each other. If there was tension between me and my parents as I got into my teenage years, my sister was always there ready to say, you know, talk to me and say, well, mom and dad, you know, they're not that bad. They're being fair. And then she would kind of defend me once in a while to mom and dad. I mean, you know, Vaughn, he's a good guy or whatever. My sister is the ultimate peacemaker, mediator, right? And that's what priests would do in the Old Testament, right? They were the ones who would go between God and people and communicate back and forth between God and people. They would take people's prayers and confessions and, and desires to God and, and give them in prayers and sacrifices. But they would also turn them back around and bring good news from God back to the people, words of forgiveness, words of encouragement, words of direction, right? The priests going back and forth between God. Well, of course, if you, if you follow the Bible story, we move from the Old Testament and all the priests, and suddenly we come to Jesus, who now is God coming down to be with people face to face, in the flesh, talking and communicating and actually touching and healing people, right? So suddenly, you have God walking among the people. Beautiful in Jesus. And then as after Jesus' life and death and resurrection, his followers are reflecting all this and they begin to realize Jesus is our high priest. Because of Jesus now, we all have this direct access to God. We don't need priests to go and communicate to God for us. We don't need a special class of people to do it. We now can pray to God and talk to God and communicate with God because of Jesus, our high priest. And they realize then that 
all these people that would gather together in a church, we begin to call them, you are a, a priesthood, a royal priesthood, a priesthood of all believers is what we've started to call them, right? All of you, every one of us is, in a sense, a priest. One who goes between the world and God and communicates who God is and what God is all about. It's beautiful. So in a sense, this morning, we could say here we are up with pews full of priests. Right? You all are priests. You are all invited to be priests for God. Ones who communicate God's love and God's grace to the ones around us, to the world. Now, this may come as a rather overwhelming kind of thing, right? Because we start to wonder, so it's my job to communicate God's love and God's goodness and God's holiness and everything to the world, but I'm rather busy. I'm rather imperfect, uh, if you stop and think about it, right? None of us is, is that great. We're, we're these imperfect people who are asked to portray a perfect God to the world. It's, it's rather overwhelming. How do we go about being priests and showing the world what God is like? And this, for me, is where, where it gets actually quite exciting. So, take your Bibles, turn back a little bit to First John. Tiny little letter, uh, just a few books before Revelation. If you get to Third John, it's two before that. Turn to chapter four of this short little letter. It's beautiful, a beautiful letter that John writes to his beloved church members. So if you have chapter 4, turn to verse 7 and, and uh, follow along with me. Dear friends, let us love one another. Okay? Something John says over and over in this book. Let us love one another, for love comes from whom? From God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love right god is love and sharon's not here today but we would have gotten her to say that because that was the first thing that she learned from pastor julio about christianity god is love this is one of those very simple phrases three words that has a way to stay with us time and time again for me this sentence god is love is something that has spanned my life from my very simple years to later in graduate school in college so when I was a kid, I would have memories of my parents. I, now that I think back on it, it's quite beautiful. We'd be driving along in the car, and they're probably just trying to keep me entertained and get me to stop crying and screaming or whatever. But we would be looking out the windows, and we would see the animals, and especially on a Sabbath, my parents would ask me, Vaughn, what did the cows say? You know, and of course, the answer is moo. And what do the horses say? It's nay and stuff like that. But my parents always had a different answer as well. Yes, the sounds of the animals... But every animal also, for my parents, said, God is love. What do the cows say? God is love. What do the birds say? God is love. God is love. What do the, you know, whatever animal you see, God is love. So for my parents, they wanted to teach me everything we see. The beauty around us is telling us this very simple fact, God is love. So I learned that very young. Fast forward 20-some years to sitting in a graduate class called something like philosophical theology, right? And I go in there and I am ready for just the big stuff. And my teacher, Dr. Fritz Guy, is one of the brightest human beings that I've ever been able to communicate with. He is a theologian and he gets to a point in the class where he says, I want to tell you sort of, he's 90 something, I want to tell you what theology means to me after this whole life. And I'm thinking, 
You know, I've got my pen ready. I hope I can understand what he's about to say, but I'm sure it's going to be good. He says, the heart of Christianity, God is love. And I, it blew me away in that moment. I thought, man, a man who is 90-something has studied and has a mind that God is love. That is the gospel. Doug Peck and I were talking a couple weeks ago about this very text. And Doug is saying the same kind of thing. I mean, this is, this is not saying God is loving, though that's true. It's really saying God is love. Where there is love, that's God. And so Doug has this great thing, I really like this, where he, uh, he goes around to people and there's a special person in his life, a relative of his, that, that is not really sold on Christianity or God or anything, and yet this is a person who is incredibly loving, as Doug described him. And Doug will say to him, he says, he doesn't always like it, but I will say, you see how you are so loving and kind and all of that? That's God, he tells this person. And they kind of resist a little bit, but I think Doug is right. Where there is love, that's God, whether people realize it or not. And so in a way, what we are called to do as priests, the kingdom of priests of God, is to be the ones who are able to point out and say, see that, that beauty? That love, that goodness, whether you know it or not, that's God because God is love. Let's keep reading the rest of this little passage here. Verse 9. Because here is love. Here's how God showed us his love. This is how God showed us his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Again, pretty simple, right? But the beauty of the gospel, God sends Jesus. That is his love. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us, right? And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, verse 11, since God so loved us, then we also ought to what? Love one another. There it is again. And here's verse 12. If God is love is profound, this one gets me even more. No one has ever seen God. Okay, so he's starting where we can all relate, right? God is God. No one has ever seen God. We've seen Jesus, but we have never seen God. Even Moses only got to see sort of the back side of God or something. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. What is John saying, do you think here? No one has seen God, but when we love one another, when we care for another, when we give ourselves to another in a community like this, that actually is the way people can get a glimpse of God. No one has seen God, but when a community is loving each other, truly people who are watching that are actually seeing a glimpse of God. I still can't quite comprehend that, but you let it, let it sink in a little bit because I think it matches a lot with what Jesus said when he said, hey, he said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you should go and love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you, if you have enough pamphlets to pass out, <laughs> if you have all your beliefs nailed down just perfectly, then people will know you're my disciples. If you have the right bumper sticker on your car, the right t-shirt, nothing wrong with those, but now 
if you have love for one another, that's how people will know that you are my disciples. And what John seems to be saying is, not only that, but God is actually almost visible to people when we are loving one another. When we are visiting one another in a time of need. When we're picking up the phone and calling someone that you don't see sitting next to you that's usually sitting next to you today and just check in, we miss you. How are you doing? How's it going? When we take food to someone who's had a stressful week or been sick or something and just didn't have time. When we offer to watch the kids for a, a couple that could really use a night out or a single parent who could take some time off when we stand up for one of our brothers and sisters, when there's rumors or something like that going around, say, no, no, that's our brother and sister. We stand up for them. When we do those things, when we love one another, that's how people around us actually get to see a glimpse of God. I think, church family, that this is an amazing opportunity we have right now. We're, we're in a time where we are missing very much a pastor who has, has cared and counseled and, and been with us in, a, in an amazing way. And yet, at this time, we also can recognize we, every one of us in the pews, has a calling to ministry, has a calling to, to priesthood, has a calling to love one another in a way that makes this church complete in a way that not only gives love to each other, but actually makes the presence of God here in this place. When people talk about the spirit that is in a place like this or another church, they mean, I think, when one, one another, when one another are loving one another, when we are loving one another, God is truly present in that time and in that place. And that's what people discover. You may remember uh, the, either the show or the movies, Mission Impossible. Remember those? And one of the parts I loved about uh, the movies, I think I'm probably too young for the shows, but, you know, they were, they were out there, uh, is that scene where near the beginning, uh, our hero opens up a, a laptop or, you know, whatever it was before laptops, and the screen flickers on, and it's the headquarters, right? And he says, Dan, good, mo- or, good morning, Dan. Your mission should you choose to accept it, is, right? And then he goes on to describe how, you know, your mission is to go 27 stories underground past 4,000 guards and take the nuclear weapon away from the bad guy out into freedom without exploding it, right? A nearly impossible mission for these people, but your mission, should you choose to accept it. And I would suggest this morning, church family, that we are also called on a mission, should we choose to accept it. And it is a mission that may seem rather impossible, a mission to show the world who God is. God is God, and we are quite imperfect people. But our mission is to go and show the world who God is. If it seems impossible, then I take courage from the way the Bible describes it. It says, here's where you start. If you want to show the world who God is, you start by loving one another. Whatever your job, whatever your career, whatever it is you spend time doing in your days, we have a calling. You have a calling. An incredible mission to be on. To be a minister, a priest, one who shows the love of God to people by loving one another, by loving the people around us. And when we do that, not only will people realize we are disciples of Jesus, but they will actually know God better. Because God is 
love. God is love. So may God bless you in this high calling. May God's love fill you to overflowing so it fills the people around you. Happy Sabbath.